Church, I invite you to open with me this morning to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. And I, again, I, as I encourage you often, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one from the pew back in front of you, pull out your phone, click over to these verses. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, if you're following with us in Scripture, you'll, you'll know a couple things. One, you'll know where we're at, but then two, you'll know when we're almost through. I mean, really, that's, that, I, you, can, you can follow along and you'll know when, when we're about to wrap things up. But we're going to go all the way through chapter 16 this morning. So again, a lot of ground we got to cover. And so I, I don't want to take too long in getting there. You know, one of my most treasured things in my office is found in the middle left-hand drawer of my desk. Under a few files... If you dig to the bottom, you'll find a manila-colored, spiral-bound booklet. And it's titled, The History of Cave Spring Baptist Church. When I was moving into the office, of course, we had a lot of things to go through. And we sorted through some things that had been in that desk for a really, really long time. But we found that history And as we were cleaning things out, I remember telling Cherie vividly, remember this, I said, don't throw that away. Make sure I hold on to that. And and, and here's what I do with that often. I revisit it from time to time. I go back and I read about how God was working through our church and the legacy that we have. And, And some of you actually were contributors to that many years ago. You might remember maybe contributing to that history. But, you know, that story is about a few individuals who are probably foreign to you. There's a guy named Armistead Richardson. Maybe a person named John Edge and Carter Sparks and his wife Susan. And how on September 24th, 1836, they helped establish Cave Spring Baptist Church. And then if you read a little further, you read about the establishment of the Hearn School. And the Georgia School for the Deaf, right up the road. And here's what's amazing about that. And if you missed this, go back and read this sometime. Those two things happened in the life of the church before the church had a building of their own. Isn't that incredible? And so this church was missional from the very beginning. They put off building a structure for themselves to serve in the community. What a legacy we have. Well, listen, in the text we're looking at this morning, we have a different kind of church history. Now, it doesn't tell the story of how the buildings were built. It doesn't have the records of any of the deeds that were titled to the church at Philippi. But here's what it does tell us. It tells how God was working in his church to establish and strengthen his church. Listen, if you're taking notes, make note of this. God works through his gracious activity to establish and strengthen his church. A couple things to pay attention to there. First of all, it's God's work. It's God's work. And we're going to see that in the scriptures this morning. You're going to see that God is the chief actor in this history. The second thing I want you to see is this. He strengthens his church. Make note of that. He established his church and he strengthens his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's his church. And that is clear in the scripture this morning. Because what we're going to see is we're going to see some church leaders that, that almost made a mess of the church. And God worked despite their actions to continue strengthening his church. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's word. 
Acts chapter 15, and I'm only going to read verse 36. The word of the Lord is this. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are so grateful for your word. We're thankful for what you are doing among us. We are thankful that this is your church. We are thankful that you are moving in your church. God, as we come to your word, I pray that you'll speak to us. God, I pray that you will challenge us, encourage us. Lord, as we see broken people, we'll be reminded that we're also broken people. God, will also be reminded of your grand activity. So God, I pray that you'll bless our time. Bless the word as it is proclaimed. By the power of your spirit, and in Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. At the end of chapter 15, in that transition paragraph, and then all throughout chapter 16, I believe we see four unique ways that God is establishing and strengthening this new church at Philippi, and also how he strengthens the church today. First of all, note this. The church is strengthened through conflict. The church is strengthened through conflict. Now, this probably sounds a bit strange because we don't like conflict. And a lot of times when we see conflict happening, we try to run the other way or or we think that everything is falling apart around us. What we see happening at the end of chapter 15 is a conflict of conflicts. And I want to show you how this unfolds. Look with me as we continue reading in verse 37 through the end of the chapter. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, the scriptures say. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, pay attention to that, that they parted company. And Barnabas, he took Mark with him. He sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. After being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Things don't get off to a great start on this second missionary journey, right? It's it's not this grand endeavor at first. In fact, it all starts with some conflict. They have a pretty serious disagreement. I told you to pay attention to that phrase, sharp disagreement. Here's why. This was no small deal. In fact, when you really study the language there, this was a physical violent action or emotion. Now, I don't have to read far into that to see that it seems like Paul and Barnabas came to blows with each other, right? I, I don't know. Maybe they're duking it out like Rocky. I don't know. But all I know is there's a conflict happening. It is not a good picture for the missionaries, and it certainly seems like they're doing this in the flesh. Now, surely God wasn't pleased by any of this, but he didn't give up on them. I want to show you how we can be encouraged even through conflict. Note this. God is not surprised by our relationship challenges. It doesn't catch him by surprise when we have disagreements. Don't forget this, friends. He created us, right? He, when he created us, he said everything was very good, remember? And then in Genesis chapter 3, guess who was there when Adam and Eve sinned? God was. So he knows his creation, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. So he's not surprised 
by relationship challenges. Conflict doesn't catch him off guard. Let me prove this to you. Look back at verse 36. I want you to see Paul's agenda. You ever had an agenda? We're going to get to that. He had an agenda. He says, we're going to go back and we're going to visit all these churches. We're going to retrace our steps. This is a noble task. This is a good thing he's about to do. But I want you to see that it was the disagreement that they all had together that led to the completion of that task. God worked through the disagreement to accomplish the mission. Here's what happened. Before the conflict happened, there was one team, right? It was Paul and Barnabas. That was it. They were the guys that were going to go on the second missionary journey just like before. And then things went awry. They had a conflict. And, and what we find at the end of chapter 15 is there's not one team anymore. How many are there? There's two. Two is better than one, right? And so what happens is God begins to work through both of those teams, and he begins to accomplish his mission. And what we're going to see in chapter 16 is that if the team hadn't split up, all of these churches wouldn't have been visited. What we see is, we see that, uh, uh, excuse me, you see John, Mark, and Barnabas, they go and they visit the churches at Cyprus. Here's why that's significant. Paul never makes it there. Paul never makes it there because God works through the mission and he directs their paths. And we're going to see that in chapter 16. The disagreement made it possible to complete the mission. You know, God works through disagreements to do wonderful things sometimes. Don't you remember Genesis chapter 37? Joseph and his brothers? It was a horrible conflict. I mean, this family was shattered. And guess what? It says that, that God worked through that experience. He worked through that conflict for the deliverance and the salvation of his people. God can work through conflict. But now, let's, let's keep going. As we get to chapter 16 and verses 1 through 5, in those verses we see that we must learn grace from conflict. We've got to learn something from conflict. There's a lesson that he is teaching us when we go through relationship struggles. I want you to see what Paul has learned. Look with me at those first five verses. Let me read it to you. It says, Paul went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman. But his father was a Greek. The brothers and the sisters in Lystra and Iconium, they spoke highly of him. Now, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. Let's get down to verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they grew daily in numbers. Now, this all sounds a little bit strange, but I want you to hold this, this paragraph in tension with what happened at the beginning of chapter 15. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you remember we looked at a church conflict, a disagreement even there, and it was called the Jerusalem Council. And you might remember that the issue at stake at the Jerusalem Council was whether or not non-Jewish people had to culturally become Jewish before they could relationally be a part of the church. I know that's confusing. I'm going to say it one more time. The issue was, do you have to culturally become a Jew before you can relationally be a part of the church? This was a serious disagreement. What we find, and a couple weeks ago we looked at this, the issue was settled. And what they landed on was this. Don't put uh, undue hardship on new believers. In other words, God says, listen, the gospel is truly available for everyone. 
Here's why that's strange when you look at chapter 16 and what's happening here. You notice Paul had Timothy circumcised. Now, I don't want to get into the details here, but let's just say Timothy was an adult male. This was a painful surgery. I don't have to elaborate any more than that. This was a big deal. And what we see is Paul is willing to encourage Timothy to do this. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Paul had learned from conflict before. And here's what he learned. He said, you know what? we got to be sensitive to the people we're trying to share the gospel with. We don't want another disagreement. And so he encourages Timothy to go through all of this. Here's the lesson from that. Church, we got to be careful about context. we got to understand that as we go on mission, as God is strengthening his church, and as he's working through conflict despite us and, and all the mess we make of it, we got to be careful to understand that God is working with us in a particular context. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 22. He said, I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. He learned a lesson through conflict. You know, when I was interviewing here at the church and uh, I had sent some sermon material here, I only had one video of me preaching. I mean, I wasn't a well-known guy, I still ain't, but I only had one video. There was no Facebook Live back then. And, and, and so I, I sent that one video to the search committee. And I thought it was pretty good. I, it was, again, I thought the best sermon I'd ever preached in my life. And so I sent it, and uh, I didn't hear anything for a little while. Had the interview here at the church, and things went really well. I get a phone call from somebody on the search committee. And I thought, this is it. They're going to tell me they're letting me off the hook, and they don't want me. And uh, instead, the voice of the in the phone said, hey, we have one concern and one question about your preaching. I said, what's that? They said, our concern is your attire. Okay? Now, here's the truth. The video I sent to the search committee was a youth service. And guess what I was wearing? This ball cap, right? Because I was with a bunch of students. I'm going to take this off now. Y'all are so distracted. Yeah, that's right. It's a good hat. But, I, but listen, listen. I was in a youth service preaching to them, and I wasn't wearing a suit or a tie. Why? Because of context. Why? Because we become all things to all people so that God can save some. Amen. It's context. Church, as we think about our community here, we've got to think about that. Paul had learned from conflict. I'm not going to preach in a backwards ball cap. Don't write that down. That ain't happening. But listen, that's context. That's context. That's what Paul was talking about. It doesn't derail the mission of God. Secondly, the church is strengthened by the Spirit's leading. The Spirit's leading. In verses 6 through 8, the missionary team, they attempt to travel according to Paul's agenda. They attempt to accomplish the mission. And I'm not going to read this to you for the sake of our interpreter here, there's a lot of big words and places. I'm going to skip those, okay? But here's what we see in verse 6. We see that when they set out, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go somewhere. I don't know how that happened. It might have been an unsettled spirit. It might have been a gut instinct or maybe travel difficulties. But then it gets more interesting. In verse 7, we see the same thing happen. Look at it. The Spirit of Jesus, it says, did not allow them to go there. So, so God is closing doors along the way. He's taking the agenda that Paul had and he's transforming it and he's shaping it for himself. Now, look at verses 9 and 10 and let's see what happens. 
Chapter 16 and verses 9 and 10. Look at it. During the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him. Cross over to Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, we immediately made efforts to get get set out for Macedonia, concluding, listen, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see that? God was closing doors along the way, verses 6 and 7. And then in verses 9 and 10, God opens a unique door, and he gives them this miraculous calling along the way. I want you to see a couple things here. First of all, we must understand that God has control of the agenda. It's his agenda. It's his mission. Again, it's his church. It's his program. You ever had your plans wrecked before? We like to make plans. I'm a planner. I remember when Sheree and I were getting married, I wanted to surprise her with a trip. We weren't even married yet. And, and I get a phone call from a travel agent, and they said, we got this cruise for you and your bride-to-be, and you don't want to miss out on this deal. And so I'm talking to them on the phone, and they, I was so gullible, not, uh, 20 years old, and, and, and they talked me into it. Like a $200 down payment, they said, pay the rest later on. I thought we had plenty of money, so I did it. And it was a good deal. So a year later, I, I, I planned it for our one-year anniversary, our financial situation changed along the way drastically, as it does for most couples. We didn't have a lot of money anymore, and we scrounged together our pennies, and we paid the rest of that bill. I had planned for this to be a great trip. We showed up to the cruise ship, and I will never forget this. We boarded the boat, and we walked into the hull of the ship. And if you've been on a cruise, generally it's this grand entrance, right? There's staircases and all this kind of stuff. Everything's ornate and decorated. No, we walked into the hull of this boat, and it was hollow. Kid you not. I'm really concerned at this point. Here's the story behind it. They had taken an old ferry boat, they had dressed up the outside, and they made it look nice on the outside. And little did I know, I'd already paid for it, and there was no going back. I had plans, right? I had, I had an agenda. I had something I wanted to do to surprise my new bride, and here we are, one-year anniversary, and we're, we're fighting in the hole of this boat, right? God wrecks our agenda. God has a program as well. And we have to step to the side. Now, notice what happens in verses 11 through 15. Again, I won't read all of it to you, but look at verse 12. Here's what we find. It says, we stayed in that city for several days. Now, this city in verse 12 is the city of Philippi. So we finally get to Philippi, we find here. Now, look at verses 13 and 14 and what happens. It says, on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. Listen to this. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. Make note of this. We must understand that God has control of people's hearts. He's got an agenda and guess what? He is in control of people's hearts. He opened the heart of Lydia. Listen, a couple things I want you to learn about Lydia, because I want to make sure you, under, you understand what they were facing and how this relates to us. First of all, in verse 14, you see this. She was a God-fearing woman. She was a God-fearing woman. Here's what that means. She was a seeker. She was a seeker. She wasn't a Christian yet, 
but she was seeking something. She feared God. In other words, she realized something was missing in her life. She couldn't put the pieces together. But secondly, make note of this. It says she was a dealer in purple linen or cloth. Here's what that means. She was independently wealthy, which was very unique for a woman of this time period. She really had her act together. She was unique from everyone else. In other words, she was independent. She could stand on her own, but she was still seeking something else. Listen, she was a tough shell to crack, but she wasn't won over by Paul's argument or his cleverness. No miracle occurred in Philippi that day. No revival happened. Billy Graham didn't show up with a choir singing just as I am and thousands flocking to the altar. No, a conversation happened. And God opened her heart. Before we speed ahead, I want to ask a question. Maybe you are like Lydia. Maybe you're like her. Maybe you hear this message and it's, it's directed to the church, it seems, and to encourage the church and its activity. But there's no doubt there are Lydia's among us who are seeking who seem to be independent, like they can make it on their own. Two encouragements. Number one, if you are a Lydia, would you let God, as he softens your heart, would you listen? Would you listen and respond? But secondly, maybe you have been witnessing to a Lydia for a long time. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Because guess what? It's not up to you to win the argument. It's not up to you to be clever. It's not up to you to win them over. No, God is in control of hearts. The church is strengthened by the Spirit's leading. But now, pay attention to this in verses 16 through 34. The church is strengthened even through persecution. Even through persecution. Now, in these verses, a literal earthquake happens. But as we move through these verses, we see some other earth-shaking things happening along the way, and we need to pay attention to it. Look at verses 16 through 19. It says, once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. Notice that the demon got it right. Did you catch that? The demon spoke truth. And you'll find this everywhere in Scripture. When a demon is addressing a messenger of God or even addressing Jesus, they speak right things. That's what's happening here. And so they address them. It says, Paul was greatly annoyed in verse 18. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Make note of this. The world is shaken by transformed lives. When God changes a life, it shakes up the world. It changes the arena just a little bit. Listen, this slave girl being delivered from demonic possession upset her owners. Listen, she was delivered from both a spiritual and a physical bondage. And this really shook things up for her owners and for her. Later on in Acts, Acts chapter 17 and verse 6, we're going to be here in a couple weeks. 
This is just the start of what is now said there about these missionaries. Listen to what it says. Someone describes them. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Listen, they started turning the world upside down. How? Transformed lives. Lives were being changed for the glory of God. Listen, as the church grows stronger in our community, pay attention now, as our church grows stronger and more lives are transformed through the mission of the church, it can turn our community upside down and inside out. Listen, that's what was happening here. And it was a far bigger arena at Philippi. Philippi was known as a little Rome. It was a big, culturally diverse place. And yet, their ministry activity had changed this culture. Y'all know this. We live in a small community, right? Everybody knows everybody. And guess what? When God's people here have a testimony to share, just like that this community can be transformed. So I encourage you. The world is shaken by transformed lives. Now listen to this. The world is also shaken by a peculiar joy. A peculiar joy. We find that after they were, they were drug out into the streets there, that they were beaten to within, within an inch of their lives. And it says in verse 24, they threw them in prison but notice what happens in verse 25. Instead of wallowing in their misery, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. There was a joy in their hearts. Yes, they were praying and we need to pay attention to that, but they were also singing. This communicated contentment to everyone that was listening. The prisoners, it said, were listening. They were paying attention to these men that were scarred and bloody and beaten, and they were shackled. And yet they had joy and contentment. I want to read to you, when we, when we talk about singing here, they didn't have a hymn book like we have. They had the Psalms. And so here's what I did as I was studying. I said, you know, I want to find a Psalm of praise that is appropriate for what might be happening here. Listen to this, and, and I'm not going to sing it, I'm going to read it. But imagine, if you will, this song being sung by Paul and Silas in that prison. Listen to this. I will bless the Lord at all times, even in a prison cell, beaten to within, within an inch of my life. His praise will always be on my lips, even now. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. How strange that must have sounded to all the prisoners listening. They're saying, hey, let's praise the Lord right now. Listen, they keep going. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he rescued me from all of my fears. Those who look to him, they are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, last three words here, and rescues them. Imagine, if you will, Paul and Silas in that dirt-covered floor prison cell they were in, singing that. 
And as those last words were sung, and he rescues them, just then, look at the next verse, what happens? Just then, it says, suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. Could you imagine? They sing that last lick of a tune, and then the earth shakes. They had a unique joy, and it ministered to all those around them. Their prayers, they were passionate. Their praise, it was genuine. Their joy, it was unique. Surely the prisoners had taken note. But that leads us to this last earth-shaking event. The world is shaken by an everlasting hope. An everlasting hope, because it wasn't just the prisoners listening that day. No, what we find is there was the jailer, and he was listening too. Let me show you this in the scripture. Look at verses 27 through 28. It says, when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself, since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself, because we're all still here. The prisoners stayed. It's, a, it's remarkable that Paul and Silas stayed, but everyone else that was listening, they stayed too. The world is watching us in persecution and difficulty make sure they see hope brothers and sisters. That's what they saw then. But listen, it wasn't just the prisoners paying attention. Look with me as we keep reading verses 29 down through verse 34. It says, the jailer, he called for lights. He rushed in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. What a picture of life transformation. Right away, he and his family, they were baptized. He, he brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and he rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Again, what a transformation. All because they had joy in persecution. All because they still had hope. Listen, it is no secret that culturally we are living in a difficult time. One of my favorite things to eat uh, when time is short and uh, we want to have a quick meal, I love these little frozen pizzas. Uh, you might know them too. They're square and it's made by a company named Totino's. They are heavenly. I don't even know what's in them, but they are so incredibly good. Here's what was awesome. Uh, uh, several months ago, it seems, or maybe even a year ago, it seems, these things were like a dollar a piece. An entire meal, a dollar a piece. It was awesome. I could have an entire meal for one dollar. Here's the problem. Sheree came home from the grocery store yesterday. She said, hey, I said, how much was groceries? And she told me the number. And my eyes got real big. And she said, you know, the problem is those Totino's pizzas. She said, they're not a dollar a piece anymore. They are a dollar 88. Almost double, right? Listen, we are living in a culturally difficult time. Our economy is... It seems like it's a wreck. It seems like there's no end in sight. Every single time you fill your gas tank up, it becomes more and more painful, right? Y'all know this. And here's what happens. As believers, we get on Facebook and we rant and we rave about all of that. And the, and the culture and the world, they see that. What about this? What if they saw hope instead? What if they saw joy instead? What if they saw contentment instead? What if they saw believers who truly believed that God was their only hope? What if? That's what happened here, right? 
These prisoners and this jailer, they were gripped by this hope, and it changed their lives forever. The world is watching. They are looking to see if we are hopeful. God had strengthened his church to spot conflict. He had strengthened the church by the power of his Holy Spirit. He had worked through their persecution. Finally, write this down. The church is strengthened by faithful leaders. Faithful leaders. Look with me at verses 35 through 37. The crescendo comes down here, and it seems like things are coming to a nice conclusion, so pay attention. When daylight came, the chief magistrates, they sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates, they've sent orders for you to be released, so now go, go out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and they threw us in jail. And now are they going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out personally. Now, here's what we see in this. It seems like, if I'm Paul, that's what I'm going to say too. And it seems like a very fleshly way to respond, but there was more to this response. Pay attention. Faithful leaders have a deep concern for the church. They got a deep concern for the church. That's really what is happening here. You see, Paul wasn't concerned about himself or his own pride. No, he recognized that they had walked through this difficult experience, and he said, listen, there's a a young church in this community now, and I don't want them to experience what we just experienced. He said, so y'all need to settle this score now, and you need to escort us out of here because our people need to see that they can exist in peace. That's really what's happening. He was a faithful leader. He didn't run. No, he was concerned about the welfare of the church. Finally, look at verse 40. Beautiful picture of what God has done. It says in verse 40, After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters, and they departed. Listen, faithful leaders aren't just concerned for the church. They've got a genuine love for the church. It says there they went to Lydia's house. Did you catch that? Do you remember Lydia? Lydia was that first believer in Philippi. We don't know how much time had passed from the time of her conversion until now, but what we do know is this, Lydia was still following Jesus. And so they were able to go to Lydia's house and encourage the believers there. I want you to see this picture with me. I know you're packing things up. I know we filled out the last blank, but don't miss this. Listen, look at this picture. There in this little house, there's Lydia. And I like to imagine that slave girl's there with her. The one who was demon-possessed, her life forever changed by the power of the gospel. And then, I don't think it's a stretch to think about this. I think that jailer was there with his family. And there they are this young church. And you know, Paul and Silas, they still had scars from being beaten. And they walk in and they say, listen, let us tell you our story. Why don't you understand who you are as the church for a minute? It's all going to be okay. And we got a mission to complete. Philippians chapter 1 and verses 3 through 6. I won't ask you to turn there, but it is on the screen. Philippians was written to who? The Philippians. Guess where the Philippians were? 
Philippi. And these letters, they were read aloud in the church, right? It wasn't just secretly delivered. No, these letters, when they sent, they arrived by mail, and they, like I did this morning at the giving time, right? I read that letter to you as the church. That's what happened with Philippians. So Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, and I just want to read this to you to illustrate his love. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, we just read about that first day, didn't we? We saw these new believers. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, he will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Could you imagine? It might have been that slave girl reading this, right? It might have been that jailer standing before the congregation that day, hands trembling because he maybe he didn't like to speak in public. And he's reading this letter and he's saying, listen to what Paul sent us. Listen to what he said to his church. He says that we, listen, God has done a good work in us already. He's going to continue this good work. In this chapter, we saw a little history of the church at Philippi. No, we didn't see the deeds written, and we didn't see how they built their first building, but we did see how God built his church. We saw him change lives. We saw Lydia, a slave girl, and an anonymous jailer, and God transformed their lives. We saw faithful leaders enduring persecution with joy. But here's what we really saw. God wrote their history. God wrote their story. Can I tell you something? God is writing our story. God is writing our history. And here's what this means for you. You're a part of that. If you're a child of God, you're a part of that. You say, well, I've been here for five minutes. What are you talking about? No, you're a part of that. You say, well, of course I have. I've been here for 55 years. Yes, you are a part of that history. Take it seriously. Understand that it's his church, it's his mission, and we're in this together. And God, who began a good work in us, he's going to see it through to completion. If you are convicted this morning about the weight of this endeavor, that's good. We should be. I encourage you, as a child of God, you come to the Lord and you say, Lord, thanks for this reminder today. Let us complete the mission. Let us be faithful. Or maybe this morning you are a non-believer and you've realized that for the very first time this morning. I want to invite you into God's story at First Baptist Church of Cave Spring. We're having a lot of fun. And it would be awesome if you were a part of it.